Have you ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know these answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit it does sound a little too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for Startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. Howdy, folks. It is Tuesday, March the 8th. I'm Jacob Cohen here with Hustle writer Rob Litters, and this is the Hustle Daily Show. Later in today's episode, cock-a-doodle-doo, we'll be talking about the crazy rise of bird feeding. The market skyrocketed since 2020, but has some negative impacts. We're going to discuss them. But before we get into that, here are four things you should know. All right, Rob, first things first, what do you got? So the big thing that was really buzzing on social for me last week and the week before that was the Batman. The Batman had a massive opening weekend at the box office. It put up 128.5 million, making it the second largest pandemic era opening weekend after Spider-Man No Way Home, which did a ridiculous 260 million. But the wild thing about the Batman is it's almost three hours long. And I think you did something about this in Digits recently about how movies are getting longer. And so I wanted to do some digging and try to find out if this is just a trend that's growing. Sure enough, Spider-Man No Way Home was almost two and a half hours. Dune was two hours and 35 minutes. It's a good movie. And the last installment of Bond, No Time to Die, was two hours and 43 minutes. So all of these big kind of tentpole franchise movies are getting longer and it doesn't seem to be impacting their popularity in a bad way. So you reported this in our newsletter, I think last week, that adding an extra 30 minutes of screen time to a movie can increase production costs by 25%. And you would think like everybody keeps talking about how TV is taking over the movies. I feel like I hear this narrative all the time. But if you're making these massive franchise movies, you don't really care about that much in production costs. And if it's going to make it more popular, make the story better or whatever it might be, I think they're just totally fine to make these movies as long as they have to be for them to be as good as possible because they know they have this monstrous audience built in. Yeah, except for The Irishman. That was way too long. (laughs) Scorsese's earned the right to do that, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It was a bit too long there. All right, what else do you got? So this is actually a fun headline. Apparently some former YouTube Kids employees who were on the team a few years ago when it was getting created spoke to the Wall Street Journal about how they cleaned up the platform and basically said that the key to the platform was human curation over the algorithm. They originally wanted to run the product pretty much exactly like the main YouTube platform, which is obviously highly powered by algorithms. And ultimately, the original engineers felt like if they could build a platform that was 99% safe, that would be enough. 
And so they did. They won out and they started with this kind of algorithm generated and driven platform. And it did well. It crushed its numbers, but tons of controversy followed that. Really? (laughs) Something you never would have expected. Parents were complaining that videos of kids' characters in obscene situations were popping up. There were videos with really little educational merit, like toy unboxings and stuff popping up. And the FTC ultimately opened up a case on YouTube for how it collects data on minors. And it really seems like this kind of combination of things, the FTC case and all of this pushback from parents led the YouTube team to make these changes. And they ultimately ended up removing 80% of the videos in the YouTube kids library Wow! for what it called low quality videos. So some serious human curation there, a lot more educational, a much better product, but it hasn't really impacted business that much in a positive way. So it was kind of a refreshing take that they're open to doing this and don't really mind if it ends up losing them a little bit of business. Yeah. I mean, this all reminds me of Ryan Kaji. For those listening, if you don't know, Ryan Kaji is this kid. He's known for unboxing toys on YouTube. He's like 10 years old. His YouTube account brought in $30 million last year. Right. Merchandise sales with the Ryan Kaji brand. They made over $200 million in merchandise sales last year. Good Lord. Good Lord is right. (laughs) So Ryan Kaji, I don't believe, is on YouTube Kids. At least I don't think his toy unboxings are. But to your point, I mean, Ryan Kaji is crazy crushing it. And this article states 67% of kids would rather continue to use the YouTube main platform I'm to sure look at videos would. like Ryan Kaji's, right? Yeah. It's a cool case of curation beating out algorithms, but if the business end of it isn't really coming through as much as they needed to, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this impacts other social platforms going forward. For sure. Well, the first thing I want to discuss is Uber's seemingly glorious return from the dead. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, The end appeared near in like April, May 2020. Totally. You know, rides were down 80% at some points in 2020. A company let go of a quarter of its staff. And now they're coming not just back from the dead, but they're like crushing it. The ride numbers in this past February were 90% of the pre-pandemic February numbers. Wow. And uh, they also just released this new feature, this Explore tab in the app, which helps users discover places to eat, things to do, and then book them directly in the app. And so, honestly, this is kind of, in my opinion, underrated. Like, I really didn't even realize how much you can now do in the Uber app. There's obviously rides, but you also have food delivery, right? Uber Eats, you have package delivery, you have grocery delivery, basically Instacart. You have the ability to rent a car. You have public transit information. You have rides for vaccines. It is very much becoming a super app, um, especially with this Explore tab. To your point, I think like when I'm traveling, there are usually two apps that I'm using a lot, which are Uber and Airbnb. And this Explore tab really puts Uber kind of right in the crosshairs of Airbnb of like, who's going to own the travel experience, right? Because Airbnb has done a bunch of stuff to try to get into like helping you plan your trip, recommending really cool locations and stuff like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those two grapple. So the next thing I wanted to discuss was just some Ukraine-Russia updates, right? We're seeing dozens and dozens and dozens of major companies distance themselves from or just flat out leave Russia. Got Airbus, Netflix, Spotify, Intel, Microsoft, BP, MasterCard, Visa, Amex, Ikea. The list goes on and on. But you got Ronald McDonald and PepsiCo both keeping quiet, you know, not taking themselves out of Russia. So why is that? Well, 
Turns out McDonald's has more than 900 locations in Russia, most of which it owns. That is crazy. And apparently those stores account for 9% of its revenue. PepsiCo also has a very large presence over there. Russia accounted for $3.4 billion of their business, 4% of their business last year. So it's going to be interesting to see if anything happens there. Also on this front, the United States imports 7% of its oil from Russia but so far has avoided banning imports because they really don't want to accelerate gas prices anymore. I know that's been a problem. But it looked like this is going to change because lawmakers on Monday said they're moving forward with legislation to ban imports of Russian energy. If you're looking at trade as a percentage of GDP, Russia sits at 46% and the United States is at 23%. So this would be a big boo-boo for Russia, yeah, for sure. But it'll hurt our wallets too. There's no doubt about that. Definitely. All right. What do you say? Let's talk about some bird food. All right. So this is actually funny. This actually strikes pretty close to home for me. So one hobby that my wife got into over the pandemic is bird watching, but we aren't the only ones. Bird watching has gone absolutely crazy since 2020. The National Audubon Society reported record sign-ins to its app, which allows you to identify birds and look them up. And according to the Scientific American, this growing interest in birds unsurprisingly has sparked a boom in bird food. Basically, bird food is big business. It's a five to six billion dollar industry across the globe. In the US, it's a four billion dollar industry. And along with the increase in bird watching and just birding in general, obviously bird food has risen as well. Some select store owners reported year over year sales jumps of up to 50%. At my house, we were doing some bird feeding over the pandemic. My mom told me to go get bird food. You know, there's 15 different kinds of bird food. I'm like, since when were we offering the birds an entire menu? <laughs> it's definitely choose? grown more sophisticated rather than just like giving ducks bread like we used to. So the ironic part of all of this bird food is that birds don't actually need it. They call it supplemental feeding because it's kind of in addition to what birds are already eating. Mm. And a recent study found that there are actually some real negative consequences of using bird food and bird feeders. So one of them that's really well known is disease transmission which bird feeders have been linked to salmonella spreading and some other outbreaks that have killed really large populations of birds. One of the really underrated problems is it reshapes ecosystems. Not all species of birds like bird food. All of these species that actually will eat feeder food will come in and crowd out, like take the holes, right. take the nests, like take all of the areas where these other birds are staying and essentially crowd them out. So there are these massive fluctuations of populations of these different bird species. It's like gentrification, but amongst the birds. <laughs> right, right. Something like that. Exactly. And the last part of it is it brings new predators. So birds aren't the only ones that are attracted to bird foods. So my parents live up at the lake in New Hampshire in the wilderness, basically. And one of their neighbors has a bird feeder that they have seen a bear standing by and eating at multiple times, like a, a big black Damn. bear essentially will go to their bird feeder regularly to eat their bird food. What's the answer here? What's interesting is because not all environments are the same, there's not really a perfect answer. Some experts claim that gardening or actually like leaving parts of your lawn kind of like unkempt, like not necessarily cleaning up as much will increase the bug population, which is actually really good for birds. The really interesting thing about this issue is conservation organizations like the National Audubon Society are the ones that are most likely to spark concerns about bird populations, right? But 
they sell bird feeders themselves and they partner really closely with retailers who sell bird feed and other supplies like that. So there's been very limited questioning into the negative side effects of using bird food. It's kind of like this weird closed industry. Some experts say if you are going to buy something for birds to come to, a well-maintained bird bath is a better option because then at least you're putting kind of a natural resource water out there. That would be probably the safest thing to do if you wanted to come up with a better alternative than bird food yeah all right bada bing bada boom that's it folks for more on the hustles tech and business coverage and links to all kinds of cool stuff from around the web check out our newsletter at thehustle.co thank you to our producer darren clark i'm jacob cohen you've been listening to the hustle daily show brought to you by the hubspot podcast network see you tomorrow